Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Happy to be back in San Francisco area. I was in Nashville, as you heard, we're talking about how open and awesome it is over there, Mm. opposed to, I mean, I'm happy to be home, but uh, California is definitely more lockdown. It is opening. I need to get a haircut and I'm going to make an appointment. I can actually do that. So that's a new, nice new development. So, uh, when's the last time you had a haircut? Uh, so I've had three haircuts by my girlfriend, which is awesome. Um, nice, so bless nice, her, nice. but, uh, first professional haircut since essentially COVID happened. So it's been at least six months. Yeah. I've had three COVID cuts and every single time so far it's been like, all right, like, why did I even bother? Because like now I need another haircut because it's been like two months since my last haircut and I still haven't seen anyone since then. All right. So that's, that's been my, my haircut experience so far. Yeah. Well, bless up to my, my girlfriend. She's been She's been doing a solid job. I appreciate her. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is clutch. That's a, a nice skill to, to have handy. If we ever go in in you know, if the, the apocalypse happens, at least you'll have good looking hair. 4K TV says keep going it out. I'm about to start looking like Sam Bankman Freed over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't like that guy. <laughs> Tell us more. Uh, well... My gut instinct is to talk about things that are not fair and not nice, like how his voice bothers me. Um, oh, man. But, That's all the way to hate. <laughs> <laughs> his voice sounds, sounds like a gnome. Um, and, uh, well, I think and on, on the real side, like he uh, leveraged the yield farming mania to his advantage with some, with some nice psyops strategies by making cream accept FTX token, which then he leveraged to short uni and, and wifey, which I think was his like big mistake that he would, that was his, uh, flew too close to the sun moment. Cause now everyone in DeFi hates him for doing that. Like you don't short wifey. Like that's, you don't do that. Like, especially when you're a public figure, like you don't, you don't short the token that is itself a community when the community is the token. Like, no, that's a, that's a dumb choice. And so now everyone in Ethereum wow. doesn't, doesn't like you high praise mm-hmm. and, uh, okay my, michael okay. Tyler just said lol wait what okay so let me get into this so cream is a fork is, is one of those fork and fair launch things that spun up uh and and so cream is like compound or like ave where you deposit assets into one side and you can borrow assets from the other side and cream just did a really good job of onboarding every single token right so any token can be listed uh and that was the only um protocol that was like this that allowed for FTX token deposits, which Sam Bankman-Fried had a ton of FTX tokens. And then he used his capital to borrow a bunch of money to purchase, to purchase or to, to no, to then, yeah. So he used FTX token to borrow Wi-Fi from Cream and then sold Wi-Fi, right? So he was borrowing Wi-Fi to sell it, dumping the price so that he can repay back his loan at a lower price, right? So he was he was shorting wifey so he could pay back his own deposits. Right. And he, he did that because he had a ton of capital with the FTX token and he did that with cream. Uh, and then cream figured this out. And I, th- I don't know if they actually voted to delist list FTX or if they just increased the fees on the FTX token to a, just an impossibly high rate. But now that shenanigans has stopped and that's, and when that shenanigans stopped, the wifey price stopped going down. So that's the story behind that. 
Um, Sam Bankman-Fried was doing some other shenanigans, but like that was a, from from like the gist I've got gotten from other DeFi Ethereum people. That was like the like he was just like an annoying side figure, and now he was like actually manipulating DeFi markets, and so now no one in Ethereum likes him because again. The wifey token and the wifey community is the the community that came out of the DeFi yield farming thing, and he shorted that community, right? And so now, of course, obviously they hate him. Well, I guess as a humble stacker, I'm not that mad about it. It is it is part of the game. My, Michael Tyberg says, I think it's just part of the game. Yeah, he's right. It's part of the game. Yeah. yeah, but then it's also part of the game for the cream finance people to you know vote in exorbitant fees to the FTX token, which I think is what happened. All right. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah. you hate him because he played <laughs> the game. So isn't this part of the rule of don't hate the player, hate the game? Yeah, I I guess. I guess he's part of like the whole like dark forest, right? Where if a- anything that can happen will happen. And so like we need to be able to account for things like this that happen. And I mean, like it's not like everyone in Ethereum land that hates that hates uh Sam Bankman Freed played nice, you know. There's uh sure. there's a there's a few examples of foul play across the board here, I think. I I do okay, so, so from uh, again I'm I'm kind of at the periphery of these stories. I'm just gathering what I hear, but Sam Bankman Freed was a participant in, you know, psy- psyops, right? You know, so psychological manipulation, you know, saying one thing on Twitter and actually meaning the intentions of another, and that is something I just don't have any respect for. Right. It doesn't it doesn't matter like what the game is or or anything. Like if you're a public figure and you are playing Psyops, like you are playing off of like the the hearts and ears of your listeners and your followers and you're leveraging them to to you know boost your own PR so you can do some of these activities. And then like you can tag team with um uh, what's his what's his name from name from uh, MultiCoin Capital Kyle Samani about how automated automated market makers suck, and then you know two weeks later like announce your automated market maker platform on Solana. Well, like, he, he he's he's always selling. Like he is yeah. the definition of ABC. I've taken a lot of his threads and been like, damn, like mm-hmm. broken it down. I was like, he did this masterfully. I mean, the man is a genius. The fact that he's in this position shows it. And uh, I mean, yeah. he he must be manipulating people to get to this position. Like he got sure. an investment from CZ. Mm-hmm. Like I can't imagine and got a bunch of stuff listed on CZ and then ultimately got attacked by Binance once CZ realized that FTX was actually a real competitor. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, like the he, he's good. You got to ha- you got to respect the game there. Yeah, he's he's definitely smart. Like he definitely got himself into the position of where he is, and so he definitely is a self builder. I also think that he was of a family that was really rich. I think I think that oh. is true. That's my gut take. Yeah, but he's the good kind of rich, right? Like there's the bad kind of rich where they're just sure. makers. Yeah. But he's definitely a builder, even though uh, e- you you could argue that he's a an evil genius to some degree. Yeah. Uh, K- uh, Lawful evil is how I would categorize him. So uh, have you been following the Supreme Court uh, nomination? Uh, From from headlines. Yeah. I mean, we already knew that this was going to happen, right? So what? Now Trump has brought in three or four? Three, I think. Supreme Court justices. Four? No. Three? 
Kavanaugh and this chick. And is there others? One too. Yeah, one more too. God damn it. Huh. Yeah, that's bad. That sucks. That was like the main I argument mean, for like why people needed to vote for Hillary, even though they hated Hillary back in 2016, was like, well, because it doesn't matter about Hillary. It's because of the Supreme Court. Well, they lost that epically. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. Big time. I don't know. Like, uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this plays out because, I mean, is this Supreme Court going to be the only like anti-big government thing in the government? Are they? Is that what they are? I don't know. Like, I mean, they're mostly conservative. The conservative party hasn't really been anti-big government, but maybe the court will be. They have different incentives. I think the the thing to follow is AOC tweeted out, um, pack the court, right? Just like blatantly like, hey, fuck it. We're playing the game. Uh, And just to to elaborate on on that. uh, So there's nine justices, 11 justices, right? And all of them are conservative, right? And that's bad for the liberals because, you know, they are, they are conservative and they're set in for life. And so we can just like, or we liberals can just like change the game and say, you know what, how there's like 11 or 13 or some odd number of, of justices. Let's add seven more, right? Well, let's add nine more and we can add nine more liberals. And then we have a liberal court, right? And so AOC is basically saying, pack the court. We're going to do that fuck the game. Like we're changing the rules. Once we get Biden into office, we're changing the rules and no longer are we playing this pleasant game of politics while the Republicans play, you know, 3d chess while we're trying to play checkers. Fuck them. We are now also playing the game. And I think that's what AOC is signaling and fuck it. Fine. Fine. Finally, the the Democrats can start playing on the same level as the Republicans because the Republicans have been playing on that level for the last 20 years. They've been doing a great but horrible job, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They've been doing a great job of you being know, horrible. <laughs> kind of sticking it to the Democrats, but at the same time, like, goddamn. Yep. Like, yep. you guys have, we're not libertarian at all. You've done a yeah. great job of expanding government. Yeah. No, there's no party that, that is small government. No party, no party that, that would like to reward reducing by 1% sad all right let's let's move it back to uh bitcoin and crypto related stuff so how are you feeling about like ethereum price when we first got on here you were kind of like negative about it but maybe you had a bias but i was saying like i was kind of impressed by ethereum holding up like close to 400 right now it's probably going to break it soon yeah um i i don't look at the charts anymore and so I've gotten just totally numb. I'm just ready for, I only look at the charts when it's, it's the time to look at the five minute charts. 1000. And <laughs> <laughs> just have it perpetually up on the screen. Uh, and so like seeing it below 400 was kind of a bummer. And then interestingly seeing Bitcoin retain 13,000. Is that still true? Is it above 13,000? There's definitely yeah, a discrepancy there, It's right? been flirting today. Um, and so the, the BTC, let me pull up the BTC ETH pair. Um, the ratio, as we call it in Ethland, I don't know if that's what you guys call it, but we call it the ratio. Well, uh, we, we don't, we don't really give a shit about ETH other than shitting on it. So, right, yeah, you guys don't have Bitcoiners don't have a ratio because one BTC equals one BTC. That's the only ratio oh. that matters. The uh, dollar ratio. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, ra- ratio is not not doing so hot, but it's up. It's the it's. Uh, it was okay in July, which was when like yield farming really kicked off is is we are now higher than we were in july um 
So yeah, Bitcoin ha- held its ground and DeFi and Ethereum took a took a little bit of a plummet. Um, and that's that discrepancy is interesting to me, and I don't exactly know why that happened. Well, I mean, DeFi was just a massive bubble that deflated relatively quickly that cycle was very quick i mean mm-hmm. it's not over yet mm-hmm. um but to, it pretty much was just the summer um i think eth was a little bit closer to it but eth surprisingly has behaved more like bitcoin than yeah. i mean like the shit coins it, right yeah because ether is super liquid and all the DeFi tokens people made money off the illiquidity right yeah yeah so i mean i don't know about the ratio but i I think Ethereum people should be happy that's not as much of a shit coin as <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe a lot of Bitcoiners would call it. We are we are happy about that. Yes, indeed. So um, I guess talking about potentially shit coins, mm-hmm. what percentage of DAI is now backed by USDC? Is it over 60% now? Um, it's over 50%. And the answer to this question lies at DAIstats.org. No, DAIstats.com. Run by the, yes, diestats.com, propped up by uh, Mariano Conti. 934 million DAI, 346 million DAI from Ether, and 388 million DAI from USDC. And then the remainder, like 100 million from WPTC, which is kind of cool. 55 million from USDT. So yeah, so the big number here, 34, uh, 346 million from Ether and 388 million from USDC. Um, does that answer your question? So I guess what what's the centralized token to Ether ratio? Is it like 70% now, 60%? Well, okay. So what's a centralized token? Are we counting BAT? As a okay, let's... Okay, let's let's be very generous and say that BAT is not yeah. what we're talking about. I'm talking about WBTC, Tether, and USDC. KNC, I would say. I guess it doesn't really matter because it's only 1 million from KNC. Okay, what percentage is WBTC, Tether, and USDC? Um, okay, uh, so 100 million from WBTC, 388 million from uh, USDC. So that's 400 and call it 490 million. And that's kind of that's pretty much the bulk of it. So four hundred ninety million to three hundred and forty six million from Ether. So like two thirds. Two thirds is is backed by a centralized token. Except How do you feel about that? It's, it's not the same as if it, it's it's not the same as if two thirds were backed by this one central centralized token. If it's two thirds of Dai were backed by. 30 different centralized tokens. Okay. And I also, okay, but if this is, this is, uh, this is BitGo, Coinbase, and Bitfinex. Yeah. Like, that's, I don't know. I think that they're, they're pretty, at, at least BitGo and Coinbase, like, you know that they're going to mm-hmm. auto comply. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those, like, we just kind of have to wait and see. But, like, I don't, like, if we're worried about the United States, legal is that what we're worried about like united states regulatory agencies coming after die or are we just worried worried about centralization for fit centralization risks well i mean you're saying that hey die has a differentiating use case a differentiator from these fiat backed coins mm-hmm. and it's worth the expense of minting die um you know to over collateralize it because it's going to be censorship resistant but i mean like now we're talking about 
two thirds mm-hmm. are three entities that are very well known. Mm-hmm. Like if they're if like if someone's like, oh, I'm going to use die because these things are censoring me, and then you know, I don't think it's that far of a step. To like, okay, well, these three things are going to start censoring die if die is actually picking up. Well, okay, like, so hold maybe on. die adjusts at that point, but like that's a pretty big risk from what I can see. So die in the hands of a user. The hands of the user doesn't care about the underlying collateral. The system cares about the underlying collateral. Yeah, the maker and system. The maker system, right. Yeah, but the maker system could get wrecked big time. Yes, right. And it is it is developed to a point where the maker system protects die and die users first and foremost. And so it takes, you know, you know that, that meme of like the army man on his knees taking the, like the knives and arrows and bullets for like the sleeping child. That's the yeah. value of MKR. And so yeah. like, and, and that's kind of like another topic of conversation that we could get into is like good tokens are backstop tokens that like bear risk. So like purchasing and owning MKR bears risk and it bears the risk of the system and also gets compensated for that risk. Right. Uh, and so if we're talking about like using DAI, it's actually not the same thing as talking about like owning MKR. So you like the centralization risks are super relevant for owning MKR. And if MakerDAO is correctly designed and deployed and and utilized by governors, DAI should have no risk no matter what. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> well, okay. I don't know. From what I see, it's so I think like this is kind of funny. So last podcast, you we were talking about how did Bitcoin Tina know that governments were going to print before Rona hit? Mm-hmm. Like, and I said, well, Bitcoiners just looked at something that was fucked up. Like, this is fucked up. It's going to blow up eventually. Something's going to blow it up. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of those examples where I'm just like, you're like, yeah, MKR got it. They're going to bear the risk. Like, mm-hmm. I think they're going to make the right decisions. And I'm saying like, okay, like I see obvious risk here that mm-hmm. seem to be whatever yeah and and so, and and so exactly what um we were talking about earlier with sam and ftx token and cream uh cream saw a risk because like one individual was using one token to like basically offer, have all of their financial activity throughout cream and so they raised the fees on that one token and so like the reason why we are seeing so much die minted by centralized tokens like wbtc and tether and uscc is that no one is is telling them not to, right? Like you, Tether's like, sure, fuck it, go for it. And then USDC is like, sure, fuck it, go for it. And WBTC is like, sure, fuck it, go for it. So no one's telling the MKR governors no, right? And so like, okay, like this seems to be going okay. We don't really seem to be seeing any risks. If they if risks do come, then they can act accordingly, right? And so like may, maybe there's still plenty of black swan risk. But if, you know, if we start to get wind that regulators aren't liking what's going on with centralized tokens inside of MakerDAO, well, then maker governors can vote to increase the fees on the centralized tokens to compensate for that uh, level of risk, right? And that's kind of why I asked at the beginning of of this is like, it it depends, like what you're concerned about depends on the circumstances, right? Like, are we just concerned? Are we just talking about centralization risk at large? Or are we talking about specific like US agencies going after, you know, the MakerDAO system? Because if we're talking about US agencies doing that, we know that like a mandate of the SEC is to like minimize harm, right? And so if they just said went to circle and be like, "Yo, you got to blacklist all maker the maker DAO address," 
uh, and then, you know, like invalidate the vaults of like hella, hella people that would then just have their shit liquidated. Uh, that would be a lot of harm. That would be the most amount of harm. That would be the opposite of what the SEC would do according to like their mandate of do minimal viable harm. Right. Uh, and so like, it kind of just depends on like what kind of risks that we're talking about because MKR governance is relatively nimble, right? Like it can change, it can change levers and dial levers and, and dials and switches to make it work. And right now it's doing the thing that is it's, it's doing the thing that is profit maximizing. Like makers also always supposed to be profit maximizing. And from what maker governors can see, there's no, there's so far no risk. And so they are, lowering the fees on centralized tokens and enabling die backed by these collaterals. Uh, and uh, uh, somebody, seen it, somebody in the comment just said, I like that the sec is going to say yo and hella. They totally are. They're from the, the they're from the West coast. Um, this is a generational shift bill. You know, <laughs> as these dinosaurs <laughs> go away, we're going to have young millennials I'm running the sec. In, in, yeah. in these organizations and they will speak like millennials. So like, it's like, Unlike your the comparison of um, how how Bitcoiners knew that the system was going to break ahead of time, the MakerDAO system still has the ability to be nimble, right? It's not calcified. It's not locked into its choices. It can respond to the environment around it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't buy it. I I, I think that those are like perfect famous last word examples. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what you're describing is like profit maximization is quote unquote, short term thinking introducing in uh, fragility. Uh, I don't know, like, it just well, the the profit max uh, being a profit maximalist creates a stronger buffer in the MKR price. And so, so the higher the value of the MKR, the bigger the backstop is. Okay, so let's just say that there's an organization that is like bitmex esque it mm-hmm. gets on the it gets on government's radars mm-hmm. and they are operating on DAI. they're treating DAI like it is a reserve currency and um it is their stable coin right mm-hmm. it's going to be censorship resistant and they get attacked in the same way that bitmex got, got attacked mm-hmm. um like part of the reason why BitMEX was okay was because they had a multi-sig in Bitcoin and that multi-sig is still in operation and no one can stop that Bitcoin. I don't think it's that crazy to say that, okay, if they're using and leveraging dial the way that you expect them to in the way that you think that they should with a censorship resistant token, you know, why, like, it doesn't seem out of the blue that the SEC would, or some U.S. agency would you know ask Tether, ask USDC, ask Bitco to freeze at you know assets that are allowing um, these culprits to operate? Like I don't know. It just to me it it just seems like there's there's it, it just seems like what makes Dai censorship resistant is Ether. So mm-hmm. if it doesn't even have Ether, like. We've already identified the people that can freeze it, and all of them have shown that they will freeze. Right. All of them have already shown that. Like Paulo uh, Paulo Arduino, who's been on the show from from mm-hmm. Bitfinex, he retweets jubilantly about the mm-hmm. hack freezes that Tether has frozen. Right. You yeah. Know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice feature of Tether. Yeah. So I mean, and all of these other things too. So I don't know. I'm just saying that this is this is not what censorship resistant looks like. 
so there's a degree of separation between the centralized asset and the platform that regulators want to shut down, right? So the centralized asset is inside of MakerDAO, and then DAI goes out of MakerDAO. And some of that DAI goes to the, you know, the, the new version of BitMEX, the hypothetical ver ver version of BitMEX that we're talking about. And so that degree of separation with MakerDAO in the middle, I think is a protective shield where like if they want to go after MakerDAO in order to go after the hypothetical version of BitMEX, they're going to cause a lot of collateral damage, which is a big incentive to not do that, right? Like, and and maybe maybe they say, fuck it and go after it anyways. And again, that will probably be signaled to MakerDAO. And so like the, the lack of permissionless assets in MakerDAO, first off, comes from the, the lack of permissionless assets in general, right? It's easier to get permissioned assets up and running than it is permissionless assets. So part of this is just like a uh, MakerDAO is responding to the environment that it's in where there's more money in permission, permissioned assets than permissionless assets. Uh, but as more permissionless assets get integrated into MakerDAO, uh, there's a vote out to get Wifey in there, right? And so that's a billion dollars that we could that we could uh, print die off of. Um, but that decoupling between the centralized asset and the centralized uh, BitMEX hypothetical BitMEX that has the intermediary of MakerDAO, that's that's kind of like going and saying like you know the you know the pedophiles use the internet. So we're taking down the internet, like not a perfect metaphor, but there is like an enabling technology that is enabling bad behavior, but the technology itself is also enabling a bunch of other things that we are, that we enjoy like commerce. Right. And so it, it's, I think it would be a pretty big precedent to go after MakerDAO in order to go after the people that are using die in ways that we don't like. I mean, I think that if the internet was invented today, that regulators would try to get in the way and that they would make it permissioned. And regulators are already trying to go backwards on encryption, especially commercial com encryption. So I don't know what to say. Like, I just think that if your thing is, if you're saying that they're just going to leave it alone, they're not going to try to backstop this. They're not going to try to get in the way. They're not going to, you know disallow uh, something that is operating on their jurisdiction uh, to break their rules just because, you know, it's going to hurt some feelings and break some bank accounts. I just don't buy it. So I don't know. Maybe I'm, again, I'm the pessimistic Bitcoiner. Yeah, well, it's also worth noting that, like, the risk parameters around uh, Ether are, like, more lenient than all the other centralized tokens, right? And so... Part of why I think this is going to like kind of natural maker like a maker DAO is kind of like an organism like Bitcoin is. It responds to the environment around it. Uh, you, should, if, you should just stop saying that because you always say like, oh, this thing is like Bitcoin. None of them are like Bitcoin. Yes, they are. Absolutely. They are. They are. No, they are not exactly Bitcoin. And so, yes, they are not like Bitcoin, but you they are like internet. Organism, the, 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 I wrote an article about how MakerDAO is Bitcoin split into two coins and we did a podcast on it like two years ago. It, like it's absolutely like Bitcoin. It is just like Bitcoin. It responds to the environment around it. And Except dumber than Bitcoin. No. And, and Bitcoin so it's way smarter than MakerDAO and governance. It knows how to grow. It's, sure. But it's, it's in the same category. It doesn't matter. It's, it has the same pattern just because you like yours better. doesn't mean a pattern's not Ample there. Ampleforth is like Bitcoin. Yes. There are characteristics about Ampleforth that are like Bitcoin. You need to be able to see these things. I just they are not, it's not equal to Bitcoin. It is things. like Bitcoin. 
I, you know, I'm just being a stickler here. Yes, yes, you are. Okay. Okay. So, so MakerDAO is like Bitcoin in the sense that it can respond to things around it as stimulus and answer to that need, right? And so if MakerDAO needs more permissionless assets backing DAI, then it will reduce the risk parameters around permissionless assets and encourage DAI to be minted based off of those permissionless assets. It can do that. It has that power. Or I could say MakerDAO is like the Fed, as in it keeps pulling widgets and levers in stupid ways, and they keeps breaking something that could be working, but it won't be able to respond to the market because they keep trying to do shit. Sure. And in the way that it's not like the Fed is that it doesn't have a mandate, except to keep diet a dollar. Okay. I don't know. Should we move on? Yeah, so I want to talk. What's up with this harvest finance thing? The latest, uh, yeah, the latest uh, headline. Yeah, so we're having somebody from Quant Sample on the Bankless State of the Nation tomorrow to go after this. But basically, it was an economic exploit, right? And so, uh, flash harvest, loan. yeah, flash loan, Oracle attack. So flash loan to change the price of Tether and USDC in relation to each other, and that discrepancy allowed the user to take off with funds. Um, so one of the things I want to know is like. Um, how, what, like, so how, how could, how could we have stopped this? Right. I, I think that we could have swapped out the oracles to a different Oracle provider and that would have, and that would have prevented this. Um, I think that's like the big thing. It's all about like, how does DeFi harden, right? Because with composability comes increased attack surfaces, right? And so with those extra attack surfaces, you have to learn how to harden those things. And so one of the great things that I think this whole DeFi yield farming mania has spun up is like really ex- like exposed every single possible attack vector that Ethereum and DeFi hasn't learned to harden down. And so now we're learning to harden it down. All right. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Anyways, some, some guy made off of $30 million, which pretty big, yeah. pretty big DeFi hack. I thought that was interesting that they went to run BTC and then eventually deposited on the Bitcoin blockchain. I think that was the first time that I saw that. Yeah. Maybe that's been happening, but I just was the first time I saw that uh, activity where it was like DeFi Mm -hmm. onto Bitcoin. I think he also used Tornado Cash for Ether to to get out of in Ether as well. Um, So this is definitely a very sophisticated individual. Yeah. This is much more sophisticated. This is a what what I call a 160 IQ attack. Yeah, I, I feel like the DeFi hackers are very sophisticated hackers, and then like there's some very sophisticated hackers in like uh, CeFi, but a lot of them are a lot more. And a lot of the scammers, like they're a lot less sophisticated, and right. you know they're kind of doing like more. It's it's, uh, it's people that built protocols right and it's, it's like there's a very decent chance that whoever did the economic exploit of the bzx hack like back in like march or february or whatever is the same hacker here right because like these skills compound like you know what you're looking for and there's there's only like one or two hundred people that have the capacity to do this so wait what's the what's that developer who uh who's like the prolific uh auditor sam, sam? yes Samson, yeah who now Samson. works at paradigm yeah, so I mean, like he was doing it for good, but like, if you would have flipped a, you know, flipped a coin, he could have done it for evil and made mm-hmm. a lot of money. Yeah, you know? so that, guy, that guy really controlled the keys with his altruism. Right. Sam, yeah, Samsung has like an alter ego, Sam Moon, that is taking all the funds and running with it. Yeah. 
wow, double double play could be very crazy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that like if there's this amazing altruistic hacker, white hat hacker, then mm-hmm. that oh, yeah. risk is on the other side too. Yeah, um, you spy versus spy. For sure. But I mean, like this Harvest Finance, like it had like 9,000 followers or whatever. Like it wasn't like the most serious project in the world. So it was, it was like, the like, tail end of the DeFi farms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, still, it's going to be interesting to continue watching because a lot of these, like there's zero days in Lightning that appear every single week. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of zero days that continue to appear throughout the DeFi stack. So it's going to be, it's going to be popcorn all the way. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you what, if there's one thing that forced DeFi protocols into like getting their shit together is flash loans, right? Flash loans are just like, hey, do you have an exploit? Great. Now I have all the capital I need to exploit it, right? Um, it, is, it is worth noting that like any individual couldn't have just done this hack. Um, I think this whoever did this needed to have a fuck ton of capital up front uh, to borrow from initially. Uh, and so it's kind of one of those things where like you needed a lot of money to do this hack in the first place. So the guy already, I think the guy needed to have started off with like at least $10 million to do the hack. And so, you know, it's only for very rich, high IQ people that are very familiar with solidity. Yep. Well, now it's becoming very profitable to be that type of person. So I have no doubt that, yeah, there's going to be pirates roaming the cyber seas. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to be the thing that hardens up DeFi, right? Like the the fact that that exists is why DeFi is going to work because like it's DeFi is going through the dark forest. Like it, it, or it it could be abandoned. It's not being, there has been no indications that it's going to get, to get abandoned. I think it's. I think that there's a there's going to be a lot more activity before the real attacks happen. So, uh, I was actually just on a podcast with uh, a, a rough consensus with some of the the Decred boys, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I was I was actually saying that hey, I I I like what DeFi represents as a no KYC option for trading. So, mm-hmm. uh, as long as it continues to present that, then I think that's good for Bitcoin. Uh, and it and clearly right. interoperates for, for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I mean, a lot, lots of things, right? So mm-hmm. as long as it keeps doing that, then uh, then I, I am, I'm for it. Uh, does that make Ether a good investment? Uh, does that mean you should hold shitcoin tokens? Uh, I could not recommend that, but is having a diverse trading ecosystem that's interoperable with Bitcoin that's permissionless and censorship-resistant-ish um yeah that's super good i think that's great for my investment that's great for my bags okay so so here's my bit pitch about DeFi to bitcoiners right where bitcoin will never be able to fully express itself as an asset without some form of DeFi, without a smart contract platform that is decentralized right uh, say what you will about how decentralized DeFi actually is. At least it has the capacity to become decentralized to the standard that Bitcoiners want. And so Bitcoin needs some sort of decentralized smart car- uh, smart contract platform in order to fully express its potential as a valuable asset. The D- the Bitcoin market cap will be bigger because of DeFi. Whether DeFi is on Ethereum or Solana or wherever, doesn't matter. DeFi is something that's outside of Ethereum. Uh, however, just 95% of it happens to exist on Ethereum. And so Bitcoin will be expressive 
and valuable, much more valuable because of DeFi, right? And, and then all these DeFi apps, which have their DeFi tokens like Comp or Balancer or Uniswap, they are cash flowing assets. They are they have claims over cash flows of the protocol. They are not a store of value. They pay you dividends in store of value, right? And so it's like an equity. And so if you want all the economic activity of Bitcoin in DeFi to be paid to your pocket, you would own one of these shit coins, right? That's how you would get BTC payments to you. That's how it would work, right? And so it doesn't matter what the money, what the money is because these protocols will pay you it because we're assuming the money will be used in these protocols. So if you're a Bitcoin maximalist and you think, and you also think that DeFi is not going away, you would be incented to purchase some of these protocols that are in the future going to be paying you dividends in Bitcoin or whatever money dominates the world. And if you're a Bitcoiner, you probably think that's Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would say my take is that a lot of Bitcoiners are like, very at least the ones on on twitter are like very like you know this is the right way to use bitcoin this is the right mm-hmm. way to trade bitcoin whatever like i don't really buy that um i'm just saying from an investment perspective like don't say that this thing is like bitcoin because it's not like it's way way different than bitcoin and the other thing is that um it's great for bitcoin bitcoin gets ethereum's app layer it gets solana's mm-hmm. app layer it gets all of these things app layer it's mm-hmm. not the app layer that is that is going to capture the value. It is the uh, it's the new monetary standard. Um, so, like, I really think that the new monetary standard is where the value is going to be captured. And mm-hmm. these apps don't have much of a moat still. Like, I really won't give it to you. Like, we need to wait until these apps truly have a moat before we can really say that, like, this is a piece of the future Internet's equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that... Like, it's also not proven that these apps, uh, that the FAT protocol thesis is correct and that these apps are going to accrue value to whatever protocol they're built on. They, the, it might have the skinny protocol thesis where, um, you know, the app layer captures the value and it operates on whatever interoperable protocol uh, suits it best. And, you know, Ether or, does not capture any of that value. Who knows? Like, there's mm-hmm. so many different, like, ways that that investment thesis just doesn't make sense to me. Sure. But I mean, and there's plenty of people that like the whole Bitcoin sound money thesis doesn't make sense to them either. Well, they're about to get wrecked. (laughs) Okay. Well, you're about to get wrecked. (laughs) See how this works. And also DeFi is like Bitcoin. It's always going to be true. The, the, the Bitcoin is not uniquely special. There are things that Bitcoin tapped into that are special. And DeFi applications and assets on, on DeFi and in Ethereum tapped into that same thing, right? By, by not, tapping into Bitcoin. Sorry? By tapping into Bitcoin. No, by tapping into the same principles that Bitcoin tapped into. The See, same I just feel like you, over, you over-index them a lot and you give them way too much credit. So maybe that's just the core of our disagreement always. So for the past two years. What do you mean? Like, I just don't give these things and projects the same kind of credit that you do. I don't okay. think that they but represent you'd... enough of, of Bitcoin. I think that they're at most like some revolutionary, some like extreme type of company, which mm-hmm. is very different than, than Bitcoin, in my opinion. Right. That's the way that they are different. 
However, there are plenty of ways that they are alike. And if you can't see the ways that they are alike, you are missing the point of everything. You need to be able to articulate the way that they are alike because it's fucking true. And if you can't do that, then you are missing the point. Well, I would say you, you, I would push back exactly the same way. You need to be able to articulate the reasons that they're different to actually understand what makes Bitcoin special. Yes. Agreed. You need to do both of these things. (laughs) Well, after you do those things, what are you more bullish on? And my answer is is Bitcoin. Yeah. And my answer is DeFi. And that's why we have this podcast. (laughs) Sorry, about to get wrecked, bro. Okay, all right. Well, my block hasn't been saying that. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe I'm just uh, I'm just high on the the Michael Saylor mm-hmm. uh, sugar rush as a 4K saying. Yeah, maybe maybe we should uh, finish off this this podcast talking about American hodl dude who like the, the ether Bitcoin price goes down by ratio goes down by a bit in Bitcoin's favor. And all of a sudden he's like, ha ha ha, tell your stupid friend that he's getting wrecked or something. It doesn't, historically, anytime that Bitcoin goes up in a bull market, Ether price goes up in a leveraged fashion, right? And that is yet to change. And so I'm, and we're going to see if that continues to hold true. I think it will. Yeah. I mean, I got my bags. Yeah. I know you do. Your internet is cutting out, so we should probably call it. Yeah, let's call it. You can find me at CK underscore Snarks. You can find uh, my other work at Bitcoin Magazine. David? Uh, you can follow me at Trustless Date, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Uh, and then, dude, did you talk about POV Crypto? You can follow POV Crypto at POV Crypto Pod. Yep. Dave, goodbye. Oh, you got it. You got it. Goodbye. Peace.
Let's try.